0: Hey besties, welcome back to another episode of Sunshine and Rainbows podcast, a space where we chat about moments when life isn't. I'm your host Amanda and I am so passionate about peeling back that veil our society has constructed around perfectionism online. When starting my own personal platform on Instagram, I realized that I was getting caught in the inauthentic hustle and it was severely affecting my mental health mostly because I was comparing my behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Throughout my life, I've come to own that my setbacks were actually just set ups for something better. I found a way to step into my true potential, and the goal is to amplify other voices who have done the same so that someone out there feels seen and that much less alone. I cannot wait to get into this important conversation with our next guest. So let's get started. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sunshine and Rainbows podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am super excited for our next guest today. Um, He actually has a very similar mental health disorder as I do, so I'm very excited to hear his point of view. Troy, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Look forward to it.
0: Yes. So I would love to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to everyone listening right now.
1: Yeah. Hi, I'm Troy Steven. Um, a little bit about my background. I went to Purdue university for an engineering degree, and then I went to North Carolina state and got a master's degree in engineering. Uh, let's see, I graduated from Purdue in 1984. Um, got married, three kids. Um, like Amanda said, I, my mental health issue is bipolar disorder. So I had my first bipolar episode in 1990. Um, been battling it since. Uh, all along, I've been able to keep an engineering degree. But I mental health, bipolar disorder, I had some severe problems along the way. Um, finally, I, I decided to write a book about my experiences. Um, um, so from an engineering standpoint, I tried to like make it into a process. So my book's called Breaking Bipolar and it's based upon a battle plan. I call it a battle plan that has nine weapons to it. Um, let's see, I published that in 2020, right after COVID hit. <laughs> and, uh, so I've been good. I had three major episodes, I guess you would call them along the way. The first one in 90, the next one in 2015. I'm sorry, the next one in 2005 and the third one in 2015, that's when I kind of formulated my plan. I've been good ever since, although it's not a daily struggle at times, but a weekly struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a, my book is a self-help book for those who are with bipolar and it's pretty much the thrust of it is that you can't, you can deal with an illness if you take the right measures. And don't give up on your dreams if you're bipolar. You can overcome it. It's just gonna be a battle along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. So powerful. Thank you so much again for opening up and sharing just a little bit of your story. I'm sure we're gonna dive in deeper. Now it's very interesting. So what year were you officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder?
1: Um, nineteen ninety.
0: Okay. So I was just diagnosed in 2021 and I would love to hear the story of how you got to that diagnosis and kind of your treatment plan up until now.
1: Yeah. The, when it first hit me, I, um, started getting paranoid and having hallucinations. Mm. I was you know, married at the time at home. Um, I I quit going to work and pretty much trying to say what's going on with me, you know, what's going on. It was, it was crazy. I thought that I was being followed by a Mexican cartel. Oh man! Um, I finally decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave home and drive down to Florida and get into a motel and just kind of hunker down and figure out what's going on. But then I got about 30 miles out of town and I couldn't bear the thought of leaving my kids being away from my kids. So I drove back to, I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time. So I drove back to Raleigh and I went to a, a regular hospital, mm. uh, like just a regular hospital and told them what was going on. And so they transported me to a medical or a psychiatric hospital where I uh, voluntarily admitted myself into okay. the hospital. Um, I was still, it was just getting worse and worse. And I had a, Pretty much a a break,
0: mm.
1: a psychotic break in the hospital. Was put on medication, and I was there about two and a half weeks. So that's uh, my first experience with bipolar episode.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Um, and you probably know a lot of this yourself, but when you first go on medication, especially when you're having these severe hallucinations, the doctors will put you on high high doses of meds. So when I got out of the hospital, you know, I'm, I'm back home and my hands are trembling and, um, you know, I was able to deal with it, but it took a while to get back to, to um, go back to work. So I was out of work for about three weeks. Um, I had called them when I was in the hospital and told them what was going on. I didn't tell them I was having a bipolar episode, but I told them I was under doctor's care. Yeah. And then I was able to go back to work, Um, you know, I talked to human resources and stuff, so Mm. it was pretty traumatic. Um, My dad was bipolar, okay. so I had a little little inkling about what it was.
0: Yep. They Um, say that part of it is hereditary, and then part of it is also brought on via high stress, trauma, or substance abuse, so it's kind of like the perfect storm.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, to be truthful, I was smoking pot at the time, um, had been for years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I pretty much was on and off for quite a while. And then back in 2015, after my last episode, I quit smoking because I've realized it's making it worse than it's making it better. You know, I'm better without it. And so since then I've been okay. Um,
0: Mm, That's amazing. Thank you again for sharing and being so open with your experiences. So often, I feel as though we talk about mental health, but we talk about the good parts and the bad parts, but not the actual scary parts. And there are times that when you're stuck inside your mind and going through these awful circumstances that it can get pretty ugly. Now, I think it's interesting that you said that you didn't tell your workplace, but you did tell HR, how do you feel the stigma versus in the 90s to now in the 2020
1: area? Yeah, I would definitely say now it's more uh, more widespread knowledge of people with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, the stigma wise, I really didn't you know, tell very many people about it back when I first got diagnosed. So I think it was probably more stigma back in the older, in years prior to where where we are now. Um, I think, uh, this is kinda weird too, scary, was from a stigma standpoint, the most severe, or not severe, but the most thing that hit me the deepest in my heart was this when my first episode was probably like in September mm-hmm. and so you know my immediate family knew about it my my mom and dad so we would me and my family went up to Kokomo, Indiana for Christmas and I could tell my relatives were like a little bit mm. uh, you know what's going on you know keep a little bit of an eye on them and so there was a time it was really cold there so I was I went up to get my coat out of the bedroom upstairs, and there was uh, one of my cousin's babies was up there sleeping. So all I was going to do is go get my coat and then leave, but like my cousin followed me up the stairs, Mm. and I felt like he was like, you know, make sure he doesn't do anything to the baby. (laughs) Oh my goodness,
0: that's tough. uh, So often we talk about harmful stigmas and stereotypes that. The media portrays and just people that are uneducated about disorders and mental illnesses. And right now in the media, um, Kanye West, who everyone knows has bipolar disorder, he is having a very public mental health crisis. And so often, I think people forget that there are other people going through these things in the world, but they have the luxury of their life not being broadcast across the entire media, but even in the sense, while it's great to be talking about bipolar disorder, when things are talked about in the wrong way and stereotypes are put on, it can actually be more harmful for the individuals that have it. And I'm so sorry that you felt the effects of that. With moving on throughout your life, have you seen a change in your family and your support system, as you've grown and understood your own disorder more,
1: um, yeah, you know, as the years progressed, my family realized he's not crazy, but he does have these bipolar symptoms at times, and that's the thing that I think people ought to know is that when someone's bipolar, that doesn't mean they're always bipolar or having symptoms Mm -hmm. you know it's people like moms and dads and and people that work in like Kanye West and when you're not having bipolar symptoms you're like everybody else but then it's always lurking in the background Um, and you have to you know keep a close eye yourself on you know what your mood is and, and learn enough about bipolar disorder so that you know when you're starting to have an episode, you know, and you can definitely ask for help.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely so important and something that I had to look deeper into my life. And looking back before I knew I was bipolar, now I can look back and see instances where I was definitely having manic episodes and depressive episodes. And I have bipolar 2 disorder. So my reality is more likely within those depressive episodes, and I have fewer manic episodes. And like you said, it's helped me so much to be able to pinpoint kind of warning signs and precursors to when these episodes might come on to better prepare my support system and prepare myself that this is naturally the way my brain processes, and there's not really anything I can do to prevent it, but I can mitigate you know, the damage that it potentially could do. So I would love to dive in further and talk about your book, Breaking Bipolar. What inspired you to write that book?
1: I'm a a voracious reader. I probably read, read more books than a lot of people. And I always thought to myself, I would like to write a book. And then along the years, you know, I worked as an engineer pretty much full time for over 20 years in aerospace. But along the way, I was like, I would really like to write a book. And then you read about people that write books and everyone says, if you're going to write a book, write what you know about. Mm -hmm. So I decided to write it about bipolar disorder. And it was more, you know, therapeutic for me to try to figure out, you know, what is the best way to manage the illness, you know? what would you put in the book to help other people that to tell them how to manage the illness. And so in my research, I figured, I found out that the best solution is to follow like a lifelong battle plan that is based upon the expert recommendations of the medical community. Mm -hmm. It consists, uh, excuse me, the consensus is that successful treatment of bipolar disorder depends on diligently following a comprehensive treatment plan, including medication, educating yourself about the illness, Communicating with your psychiatrist and therapist, having a strong support system, and helping yourself by making high, healthy lifestyle choices. So I took that and tried to break it into a plan. And so um, my my battle plan has nine weop- what I call weapons in it. And when I say battle plan. There's some scary statistics about bipolar disorder. I'd say the scariest being that about 20% of people who are bipolar commit suicide. Mm -hmm. There's several studies that have done that back that up. So the the weapons I selected, the first one that I have in my book, it's called the Contingency Plan.
0: Mm.
1: And it's based on if you, you know when you realize you're having problems ask for help try to ask for help and i was in the midst of one of my my second bipolar episode and i went to see my psychiatrist and i told him what my symptoms were and like for me when i'm going into an episode i would skyrocket into mania or go back into depression but it's kind of like for me it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I'm mm. fine for a while, but then all of a sudden, almost instantaneous, I start getting these uh, hallucinations and feeling shaky and scared. Mm. And so I asked my psychiatrist about that when I was talking to him and, you know, I was pretty much having a bipolar episode. And he told me that I could, t- to carry around one of my medications, I take um, Seroquel, okay. um, 400 milligrams at night, he told me to carry around a 400 milligram tablet with me. And if I started, you know, going into Dr. Jekyll to just take the medicine right away. Mm. So that's part of the contingency plan as well as having a team of people that you can call on, you know, one being your, your psychiatrist, you should be able to call your psychiatrist 24 hours a day yep, and get help. If you're having issues, you know, serious issues. And then I also recruited my uncle Bud and my daughter Rachel to be part of my team that that they know all about my my illness and all the struggles I've gone through. And so they're on my, so that's pretty much the contingency plan. And there's a, I have a three page at the back of my book that you can fill out the pages and then you'll have your contingency plan in writing.
0: Wow. That's so neat. And I love what you said that it's, It's one thing to think about it and talk about it, but I feel as though writing it out and having it in black and white makes that real to you that you've recruited these people, you have these options. And I think that's incredible that you wrote that into your book. Um, Do you find as a man living with bipolar, do you feel as though there's extra stigma that comes with that and extra heaviness? Because typically in the world with mental health, statistics say that men are less likely to talk about things that are bothering them and mental health. Um, did you find that you had those issues as well too?
1: Um, I think you're right that men probably are don't divulge as much, at least when they're in the beginning when they're talking to people. But one thing I've done is... Um, joined a bipolar support group so that we meet twice a twice a month and it's in person okay um, even during covid we would wear masks but that, i think that was helpful to be in person and we, we usually have like 10 or 12 people that come to the meetings and um you know it's about split 50 50 between women and men and in the, our group the men talk as much as the women
0: you wow. know, we kind of go
1: around and Everyone tells what's going on with them. But that's been really helpful as a beat. So I was in a bipolar support group in Raleigh, North Carolina, back in the 90s, and then I moved to Connecticut, and I joined a group there. And then now I'm down in Florida, and I joined a group here. I would recommend that to people that are having trouble dealing with the bipolar illness.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I I agree with that. I myself am actually looking for a bipolar support group. So, after this, I'll have to get with you because I'm in the Florida area as well, too. And oh, Yeah, we're at I'm in Tampa, Florida. Okay. Yeah. So, and I find with myself during COVID times and having to do therapy over Zoom and seeing my psychiatrist over Zoom, it definitely was different and not having as much of that human in person connection. And for me, And my personality, I feel like I was able to hide a lot of things that were going on because my therapist couldn't read all of my body language. And so I was able to, you know, divert the attention in sessions and not really dig as deep as we could have. So when we went back to in person, she was like, nope, I'm laying down the hammer like I'm in the room with you. I can see all of your body language now. And I think that's interesting, especially, like you said, during COVID and how everything changed. Um, So within your book, Breaking Bipolar, how can someone live successfully with bipolar disorder?
1: It's kind of like all aspects of your life come into play. So the other um, weapons in my battle plan are... One of them's enemy reconnaissance. You know, learn as much as you can about the illness. Um, the more you know about it, the better you can fight the fight the battle. Uh, the next weapons optimize your medication, and this is a very powerful one. I mean, some people will are able to live with bipolar disorder without medication, but I've I think it's it's definitely the case where most people. Do take medication for their disorder Mm -hmm. and there's things that you can learn about for optimizing your medication you know typically someone who's bipolar i mean i'm not typically at least in my knowledge they might they take more than one medication (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: a cocktail
1: (laughs) yes yes ma'am that's exactly right and so there's you know when the doctor will put you on a medication He will start you on a lower dosage and say, okay, stay on this dosage for two weeks and then increase your dosage by whatever it is, 20 Mm -hmm. milligrams. And and then, you know, for the next two weeks and stay on that for a month and then come back and see me. And when you're dealing with, um, you know, more than one medication, it takes a while for the medication to kick in. And like you said, trying to find the perfect medication cocktail. Mm Mm-hmm. With the right dosages of all your medications—that's kind of a skill that you have to learn. And uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at it, but I'm always worried that maybe one of my medications not going to keep working the same over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been on like probably 20 different meds along the way, and uh, you know, in the early early days, even in the early 2000s. I was never really satisfied with my meds. I was always, you know, this could be better. Why do I feel like this? And I would try to pinpoint my problems to my psychiatrist and we'd try different med and so on. You probably know about some of this yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's the ramp up stage of your medications. And then if you're getting ready to go off of the medications, there's a ramp down stage where you don't just quit taking it right away. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to ramp it down. And so this is a long process where you have to, you know, do your best to find the right meds and tweak in the right dosages for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the, that weapon was optimize your medication. the next one is find the right psychiatrist. And that's not as easy to do as you like. Um, Maybe the psychiatrist you have is telling you to go on these medications. And then when you go into him and say, Hey, this isn't working and this is why, And, you know, I'm thinking I might need to change my medication. Some psychiatrists will say, no, just stay on it. Yep. You know, quit being a wimp. (laughs) Mm. Um, So finding the right psychiatrist is important. Um, Next weapon is train your mind. Uh, Learn self-help techniques. Um, I've read a lot of different self-help books like Napoleon Hill. um, Think and Grow Rich. Mm. The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz. So in a chapter in my book called Train Your Mind has some of these self-help techniques to follow. Uh, the next weapon, train your body. The next weapon, recovering from a from an episode. And then one I called psychiatric hospitals. Hopefully you'll never have to go into a hospital, but if you do, it's good to know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing there that I'll tell people is even if you voluntarily Check yourself into a hospital. You can't just leave the hospital whenever you want. It's going to be based on your doctor saying you could leave the hospital. Um, and then the last weapon is legal rights. There's you know legal rights at your workplace yes. that can come into play. So, anyway, those are the nine weapons that are in my battle plan. And each of them has a you know a chapter in my book.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I love what you said at the beginning that in your experience, and that is something I think is so important to remember when we're talking about these complex mental health illnesses and disorders, is that bipolar is actually considered a spectrum disorder, meaning that it can affect each person very differently depending on their experiences, their environment and their brain chemistry. And I love that you brought that up, that in your experience, that's what you went through. And all of those weapons in your book sound like such an arsenal that you would need, again, to live successfully with this disorder. Um, In my experience, what a lot of people don't understand is it's a constant management. It's not that once you take the medication, it's over you will live with bipolar disorder your entire life and have to learn how to manage it. And I love how you brought in that it's holistic. It's not just medication. It's therapy, a psychiatrist, health, healthy habits, um, peer support. All of that is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing.
1: Well, I don't consider myself an expert, but, uh, you know. (laughs) I just do as best as I can because I know that bipolar can rear up and bite me anytime. But um, I hope that a book will help people to, to manage the illness. You know, one of the big things in there, I say, live by the motto bipolar, heal thyself. Mm. So you're in charge of your illness. Your doctor's not in charge. No one's therapist. You're, you're the one responsible for your illness. So you needed to scratch and claw and do whatever you can to, Be able to live with it successfully you know there's lots of people famous bipolar people that so bipolar is kind of linked to creativity as well
0: yes and
1: strong personalities like winston churchill abe lincoln had symptoms of bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. palsy uh, demi lovato yes Uh, there's all kinds of uh
0: carrie fisher is one of my favorites Um, And then also World Bipolar Day is on Vincent van Gogh's birthday because they think that he was one of like the first unofficially officially diagnosed people that had symptoms of bipolar disorder. And I, I love that you bring that up because, again, the media has this stigma of, you know, I feel like everyone could think in their brain of what they think a bipolar person acts like or looks like. But like you bring up, in reality, a lot of people that have bipolar disorder are some of the most creative and outgoing and eccentric, talented people. And I think that, I don't know, it's proof that you can't have too much of a good thing, that in order to have this amazing creativity side, there's also the opposite side to keep it all in balance. And I personally like to say that You know, my brain and the way it works is my superpower. And the fact that I feel in such extremes is my testament to empathy and that I can feel way more than the average person, which gives me the ability to empathize and sympathize with so many people. And if I harness it correctly, it can actually be my superpower, not something I should be ashamed of.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's exactly how I think about it. And, you know, I think people that are bipolar, don't give up, you know, don't, don't think you got to have a mediocre life and, and not find happiness and success Mm -hmm. that you can, but it's up to you to take the right steps. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's in your power.
0: Now you bring up an interesting point. I was doing a lot of research again, once I got diagnosed with bipolar and in their early years. So, you know. 70s 80s 90s people getting diagnosed with bipolar the consensus was is you will not be able to live a normal life you will not be able to hold a quote-unquote normal job or be a quote-unquote functioning member of society but nowadays they're realizing again that it's a spectrum and there's no one set box that people fall into with bipolar disorder were you told those things when you first got diagnosed?
1: Uh, no, I didn't have a clue. Okay. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> you know, um, took a long time to, to learn about it. And, you know, in the beginning, you're just trying to figure out what the heck happened to me. Yeah. You know, because it usually doesn't happen. Well, it probably happens in, when people are teens and such. But for me, I was 30 years old when it hit me. Mm. And just in the just trying to deal with the medications and finding the right cocktail. Like you said, not being over medicated and like a zombie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the wide spectrum of things, I think, um, you know, these days a lot people are know a lot more about what bipolar is. Um, and probably there's better medications and, um,
0: Yeah. It's funny, the medication that I'm personally on isn't technically for bipolar, it's for epilepsy, but it has components in it that help with bipolar disorder. And instead of being this giant drastic medication, it works perfectly with my depression and anxiety meds and my ADHD meds and the meds that help me fall asleep at night. And so again, like finding that perfect combination and again, research and science advancing and knowing that there's other medications that maybe aren't traditionally thought of, but can still have the same effect to keep you within that balance. is awesome.
1: <laughs> so you, when you said you discovered you were bipolar?
0: Yeah. So like- I got my diagnosis fall of last year, but looking back, I can definitely see in my early 20s signs and episodes. And one thing that I like to talk about is when I was in college, that was the perfect breeding ground for it. Because again, like the hereditary aspect, it does start to manifest in your early to mid 20s. That's when a lot of people, like you said, are clued in. But then high extreme stress, substance abuse, all of my mania symptoms were thought of as oh, you're pulling all-nighters in the library? You're such a great student, not the insomnia that my brain wouldn't stop. And, you know, oh, you're drinking a lot? Well, you're in a sorority. It's not because you're trying to, like, forget all of these things that are happening. And so, again, I try to urge people to start these conversations, ask these difficult questions. When you see a friend exhibiting symptoms and signs, they are most definitely because something deeper is going on inside.
1: Well, you, you really are a great talker about this, um, <laughs> your, ins- your insights and stuff. You, you bring across the points really well. I, we, that's great.
0: Oh, thank you. I, yeah, I, I'm lucky to have been diagnosed in a safe environment and have a support system that loves me and accepts me and has always pushed me to follow wherever my voice takes me. And like you said, for me, it was an all-out claw for survival. And there were moments that I didn't feel like it was worth it anymore. And I'm just lucky and proud of myself mostly that I kept fighting and believed in my voice that something was wrong and found a psychiatrist that would listen to me. So (laughs) that's what it's all about, (laughs) finding people that'll listen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being so open with your story and giving us a background on everything that you've experienced. I would love to give you an opportunity to share, once again, the title of your book and where we can find it to purchase it.
1: Yeah, the title is um, Breaking Bipolar. So B-R-E-A-K-I-N-G, Bipolar. And it's on Amazon. And also uh, Audible, It's have an audio book about it.
0: Oh, perfect. That's I amazing. Have... And for everyone listening, I will link that down in the episode notes. So there will be a direct link to that. And after we get off of here, I will figure out about those support groups. And for anyone in the Florida area, I can l- list a link to the support groups that we talk about, too.
1: Yeah, yeah from that standpoint... The three support groups I belong to were called the DBSA, Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. Okay. And they have groups in, like in Florida, almost in every city. So that's a D- DBSA is uh, something you might want to look for.
0: Perfect. Yeah. And I know um, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, also has chapters all throughout the nation and um, they're an amazing organization as well, too. Well. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. I know everyone listening definitely got something out of this conversation. And again, thank you for breaking stigmas and stereotypes by sharing about bipolar disorder and hoping to educate people more on it.
1: Well, no, thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you for listening to yet another amazing conversation started here on Sunshine and Rainbow's podcast. Each week, I'm quite literally blown away by the voices and stories shared here. The goal is to amplify others' experiences in hopes that someone listening out there feels that much less alone. Thank you again to our incredible guests for getting so vulnerable with us about their own personal stories and for helping each of us remember to look at a situation with a new perspective. If you love this episode or any previous one, I hope you'll take a second to share it to a bestie or even tell us on social media. It really does make a difference in helping us get these conversations out there to the world. If you'd like to share your own story with our audience about how you've overcome something in your life or maybe want to start an important conversation that needs to be heard, please send us an email at hello at Stay colorful and we'll see you next week, besties.